0: Church. My name is Kyle Riley, and I'm one of the student ministers on staff here at New Beginnings. I want you to know what an honor and privilege it is to be here opening up God's word with you. 2022 was a great year for my wife and I. My family hit a couple amazing milestones. I don't know about for any of you, but this is a big one for us. But we finally graduated our children out of their diapers, and so that was huge. Yes, thank you, right? It saves us a lot of money, and so we're very proud of that. Now we just got to help them aim, but that's a whole other milestone that we're going to reach in this year. So be praying for us on that. But seriously, 2022 was an incredible year, um, especially here at New Beginnings. God has done so many amazing things, and we watched you when his people came together in corporate prayer. We've seen lives change, people healed. We've watched God do amazing things, and even in the student ministry, we've had new facilities open to be able to reach more more and more of the next generation. It was such an amazing year. Now, I know 2022 wasn't necessarily the best year for every single person, but I want you to know, just as Kyle said earlier, the same God that is faithful to us in 2022 is the same God that's gonna be faithful to you in 2023. And so this morning, what I wanna look at, what I wanna talk about is evangelism. I think, if you're honest, our church is in a little bit of a crisis. You see, evangelism is the invitation to others to experience Christ. It's the proclamation of the good news. It comes from the word euangelion, which is where we get the word gospel, meaning bringing good tidings. But recently, I was doing some research on this, and we find out that 99% of Christians, or sorry, not 99, 95, 95% of Christians have not invited someone to walk with Jesus, meaning they've had conversations about Jesus with people, but what we're finding out is that they have never taken that step of giving and extending an invitation for someone to walk with Christ themselves. And I think this is, this is sad. I mean, 95% have never taken that step to invite someone. And here's the funny thing about what this research group found is that 100% of believers know that they should follow the command to go and make disciples. Now, that's a tough pill to swallow, to know that we all know that we should be doing evangelism. We should be sharing the gospel, but yet 95% of us have never taken a step to invite someone to know Christ. The same research group started doing some uh, research on the unchurch, and here's something, here's a silver lining in what we found out, is that 66% of the unchurch said they were unlikely to come to church. Meaning like 66 of those who don't go to church are saying they don't wanna be a part of church. They don't wanna be invited to church. They don't want, the word they use in the language that they use is, we don't wanna be part of organized religion. But out of the unchurched, 80% said they would be willing to talk with their friend if their friend about faith if their friend truly valued their faith. So what do we learn from this? We learn that us as a church, we need to be bold and understand that we need to stop inviting people to church and start inviting them to know and experience the Christ that lives within us. This is what evangelism is. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to break down how Jesus Opens up the eyes of his disciples to see what true evangelism is. I remember when I was a full-time missionary in Mongolia, I had the blessing and the honor to be able to go to uh, the local city dump every single day. And this is such a sad and horrendous place. It breaks my heart that people live in this, but there are orphans that live in the city dump. And you have to understand, in Mongolia, it's cold. It's in the negative 20s throughout the winter. And these children are out there every single day. They don't have uh, proper clothes to fend off the winter. They get cuts and they lose fingers or they get frostbite and they lose toes. It's a horrible place. And so we were going out there to bring soup. We were bringing clothes. We were bringing gloves to help protect them. And I remember vividly the very first day walking out to this dump, I had in this my mind that like, when we got there, we were gonna be swarmed by hundreds of people because we were gonna be bringing them something they need and it was gonna be an amazing experience the very first day we show up, we come over the hill. Reluctantly, about two kids walked up to us, and that was it. I mean, we had enough food for about 60 to 70 people, enough clothes for about 60 to 70 people, but only two kids walked up to us. And I remember my friends, I were just like, wow, like, that is not what we're expecting. We're expecting something so much greater. Um, and we were a little disappointed. We walked away that day disappointed. But the second time we came back, as we were coming over the hill, About 40 to 50 kids at full speed were running towards us. And you know what changed? The very first day we went, there was two kids that came to us and they had an experience. They got a full belly, a warm belly. Real, real needs were met. They got gloves to cover their fingers. They had shoes to put on their, over their feet to keep them warm, and they got jackets. And what they did was they went back to where they lived with the other kids in that dump, and they told them, listen, we've got a warm belly. Our hands are covered. Our feet are covered. This is an amazing, that the experience that we got to have was incredible. They told their friends, and what they did was they invited them. So when we came back that second time, Now we have a crowd that wants to join in on the same experience. Church, this is what evangelism looks like. God has radically met a need in your life. Whether you were broken and you need healing, whether you were in anger and you needed peace, God has met needs in your life and he's transformed you from the inside out. And we go to where we live, work, and play and we share and invite others to hear what God's done in our lives and we tell them, that same God who did that in my life is the same God that can do that in your life. This is what evangelism looks like. It's not asking someone to come to church, it's telling them about the goodness and the faithfulness of God in your life and inviting them to experience that for themselves. So if I could break this down in one sentence for you, I would say this. Evangelism is the simple invitation to others to experience for themselves the ever-restoring life of Christ that we are experiencing. Let me say that again. Evangelism is the simple invitation to others to experience for themselves the ever-restoring life of Christ that we are experiencing. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John chapter four, very famous passage of scripture. We know this as the dialogue between Jesus and the woman at the well. But this morning, I don't want to spend my time just focusing in on the woman at the well because there's so much going on here that's more than just about the beautiful depiction of the gospel that Jesus gives this woman. The story begins with the disciples, and we're going to find that the story ends with the disciples because in this passage, Jesus is teaching his disciples about evangelism. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in John chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 27 if you're there, say the Bible is true just then his disciples came back they marveled that he was talking with a woman talking about Jesus Jesus was talking with the woman but no one said what do you seek or why are you talking with her you have to understand this wasn't some lucky moment of a like a, a, it was a divine appointment that is happening here Jesus in the context of this passage, has just gotten done sharing the most profound spiritual matters to a woman at a well. And you have to understand, in biblical times, this was, this was a big no-no. Like, you don't, like, rabbis did not talk with women, and even further, they didn't share spiritual things with women. It was considered to some a profaning of the law to do so. And so here's Jesus going above and beyond to talk to this woman about the gospel about the good news in the living waters. And so if you have your notes, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down as your first point. Evangelism is radical. Evangelism is radical. And when I say that word radical, I want you to really feel the tension there. Like, like evangelism is supposed to put us in places that, you feel tension. When I say tension, like we all know, like we just got through the holidays. There's that one uncle who you're worried about what he's gonna say at the dinner table. He might bring up politics or something, we're not sure. Like, you know, and when he does, there's that room, it just gets filled with like filled with all the tension. This is a tension I want you to feel in this moment does and what of what is happening. Jesus is showing his disciples how radical God's love is for this world, and he's going above and beyond to break so many cultural barriers. He's talking to a woman. That was already in itself, not something rabbis are supposed to do. Not only is he talking to a woman, he's talking to her about spiritual things. And what we know from the context is that this is a Samaritan woman And for those who don't know, Samaritans were hated people. There was so much prejudice towards the Samaritans. Um, Jews would walk intentionally many miles around the place of Samaria because they didn't want to talk or interact with the Samaritans. And here, Jesus, rabbi, teacher, disciples walk up. And here he is talking to this Samaritan woman about spiritual things and even further. It's not just a Samaritan woman, but what we know from the context is that she is a broken, morally loose woman. And here's Jesus engaging in this woman with the most profound spiritual matters of the gospel. What we see in Scripture is that this is actually one of the first moments that Jesus is revealing that the gospel was not just intended for the Jewish people, but was meant to go to all people. And what the the disciples are witnessing is how radical the gospel is. I want you to know that this was what, in considered Jewish people's minds, the last person who deserves the gospel. I remember when I was in seminary, uh, one of my friends in college, instead of living in the dorm. Um, which he had, and he had all of his stuff there. instead of living in the dorm, he chose to go live downtown at the homeless shelter with the homeless people. And I remember in our personal and spiritual disciplines class, we were talking about evangelism. One of the things, and one of the reasons why he said he would go there, because he said, I'm just as undeserving as those downtown, and you were just as undeserving as those downtown to receive the gospel, which means they are equally in need of the gospel as you and I are in need of the gospel. Here's the easy truth for you and I to uh, take in this morning. The person to your left and to your right, they need the gospel. Like, that's the easy truth for you to understand. But the tension and the radicalness of the gospel is that the person to your left and right, they're just as undeserving as a morally loose Samaritan woman at a well of the gospel. And they have equal need of the gospel. Jesus is showing how great God's love is. And I know for us, there's times in our lives where we think that, you know, there are those people that cause tension in your life. And when it comes to sharing the gospel to them, you start throwing out the butt eyes. And whenever you throw out the butt eye, I want you to know, whatever excuse that follows that, that's a cold-hearted, broken response, and it's a lack of understanding of undeserving ourselves, or we ourselves are, of the gospel. We are broken sinners, separated from God from our own mistakes and our own wrongdoings, and everyone is in equal need of God's grace and Jesus is revealing to his disciples this woman's equal need of his living waters and so he reveals that to her and he gives that to her. And what my fear is, looking at the statistics at the beginning of this message, my fear is, is that we as a modern church are beginning to look more like Jonah than we are Jesus. When Jonah was given the call to go to the people of Nineveh, the fear was that they might actually come to know God in his mercy. And so he ran. But one of my favorite things about the story of Jonah is that what we learn is it doesn't take a great skill set to change people's hearts. He goes through the place of Nineveh, preaching one of the worst sermons in history, which led to one of the greatest revivals. He walks through the town saying, God is going to kill you. God is going to kill you. And what that does is it puts a fear of God in those people's hearts, and they repented of their sins, and there was great revival that broke out. Imagine what God could do in the lives of the Samaritans of your life. Like, think about it. They're causing tension because they're living out the only thing they know, and that's brokenness. But maybe they are doing the only thing they know how to do, and that's live in brokenness. And you have the living waters of God that you can invite them in that can transform their hearts and bring peace to their hearts, bring transformation to their lives. You see, this woman... When the gospel, the radical gospel was given to this woman, her response is so incredible. Verse 28, so the woman left her jar and went away into the town and said to the people. Her immediate response, it wasn't a forced response. That's why point two is evangelism is not forced. Her immediate response, it wasn't like she felt like she had to do this uh, in the sense of like it was a rule and a law she had to obey. This was like she couldn't help but have to. Like it was a compulsion in her life. The response to knowing the love of God was a compulsion to run and share the experience to those in her life that she knew When I say compulsion, I mean, it's an irresistible urge to behave in a certain way. She abandoned the bringing of water to the people to drag the people to meet the living waters that can transform their lives. We don't know why she left a jar, but I can tell you this when God puts things in His Word, it's not just to have fun. He puts intentional details in there for us to notice things. And it says that she left that jar, and what we know is that she 100% intended to return to where she was, because that jar didn't matter anymore, but the person that was there at the jar mattered most, and that was the living waters of Jesus Christ. And everyone needed to experience those living waters. And so I need you to feel this. Evangelism is the spilling over of words because of the overwhelming worth of knowing i receiving the grace of God. Like evangelism is not receiving and giving knowledge to people. It's, it's you extending an invitation to come taste and see for yourself. That's what evangelism is. I remember uh, I was motivated uh, when I was in high school by this story. Um, I don't know if anyone knows the story, but it's called britschko uh, It's a book you can go get. It's about this missionary um, uh, Bruce Olson, when he was 18 years old, he felt called to go and reach one of the most dangerous tribes in the world. It was called the Motoline tribe down in Venezuela. And 18 years old, his parents are trying to push him away, saying like, listen, no, you shouldn't do this. Like, You are going to die. his response every step of the way was that I I don't have a choice like I have to do this everything in me is driving me to go to this tribe I must go I would rather die than not go like he was so passionate about reaching this tribe and so he sells everything at 18 years old only has like $600 to his name he flies down to Venezuela and there he meets with some local missionaries the local missionaries tell him listen man you're gonna die don't do it we're actually not going to help you. We're not going to give you supplies. We're not going to support you. Don't do this. You're going to die. Again, he's like, no, I have to do this. It's, it's a must in my life. Like, I would die if I don't do this. And so, again, on his own, he just grabs a couple supplies, puts a backpack together, no money, and just begins walking into the forest, not knowing where he's going. Literally, he just walks into a forest in search of this motoline tribe. And he gets out into the forest and he runs into this first tribe to beat him up real bad. They throw him in his tent. He takes him some time to recover. He spends almost like a year with this tribe and he finds out it's actually not the tribe he was trying to find. He gets sick and he deals with all these issues. And he finally was able to start translating in their language and understand what they're saying. And he reveals to him that he's actually in search for this other tribe. And their response to him was like, listen, man, don't do it. Don't do it. You feel that radical tension there? Don't do it. Don't do it. You will die. They will kill you before you even make it. He's like, I have to. And so he puts another pack together, begins his journey into the woods to find his tribe. And the next thing you know in his story is that he feels this searing pain in his back. He gets knocked out. And what he wakes up to is that like he had some arrows stuck in his body. He's laying in a cave, and he's, he ends up getting dysentery. He's laying in his own waste. He's eating these slugs on the floor. It's this horrible situation. Horrible situation. And the story goes on where this boy in the tribe, the one who's bringing them these insects to help give him some sustenance to survive, begins developing a relationship with that boy. His name's Bobby later on. We give him a name, Bobby. And through that relationship and through years and years of staying in this tribe, even though he almost died multiple times, the compulsion kept them there that they had to experience the ever-restoring life of Christ that he had. They needed it. And he stayed, and because of his work, now thousands of indigenous people down in Venezuela know Christ and have the gospel in their language. That was the compulsion. It wasn't a forced thing. It was a, like, Everything in his life was urging him, they must know of the experience of Christ that I have. It was was his motto. And I I just think about this. Like for you, in your life, how many people need the living waters of Christ that you have? You walk out of this church daily. You go to your communities. There are so many people who are lost and dying and they are waiting. What we learn is they don't wanna be invited here. They want you to give them, invite them into experiencing the living waters. They're waiting for the invitation. What does that look like? Well, Watch what this woman does. In response, she runs to the town. And what should, does she tell the people in the town in verse 29? Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Right, she's, she's giving This testimony here to the people. Look, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? What was the response to the people? They went out of the town and they were coming to Christ. We see the beautiful depiction of how simple evangelism is. What does she tell them? This man changed my life. He told me everything about myself. That's the testimony. Look, Jesus, this dude's real. He's transformed me. And what was her invitation? Could this be the Christ? Meaning, come, experience Christ for yourself. The gospel wasn't broken down. She didn't run in the town with the Romans road. She didn't have a three circles. She didn't have some VBS beads of colors on them. Like all she had was what had happened to her, and that was her experience. Let me tell you the number one evangelistic method in this world is not a little dialect or a a rubric or equation that you can memorize. It is simply the testimony of the faithfulness and the goodness of the restoring life of Christ in your own life. That is the greatest evangelistic method we have. Come and see the man who transformed me. This is the woman's testimony. Come and see, all, uh, see a man who told me all they ever did. Can this be the Christ? This is the same woman who is at the well in the middle of the day. Why? Because even in her own place, she was rejected. You have to understand, Samaria was a place where refugees and criminals went. It was a messed up place. And here she is avoiding people in a place of criminals and refugees. And now she's running to tell them about the restoring life of Christ. This is how powerful the transformation of Christ is within us. And I wonder, where's our motivation like this woman to go and invite? This woman's motivated by one thing. It's her own experience that she has with Christ. Let me tell you something, and this is hard. You can't share an experience with Christ if you don't have an experience with Christ. Christ. This woman radically had her life changed. Without hesitation, she must go with uh, the gospel wherever she went. People must know it. And I wonder, who in your life must know the gospel and are waiting for you to bring the living waters to them, to invite them in, to experience the transformation of Christ? The people, in hearing her testimony, they had to experience the Christ for themselves. I wonder, how bold are you in the transformation that Christ has made in your life? Does it matter so much that everyone in your life must know? Because to this woman, it was such a powerful transformation. Every single person she knew had to know, even the people who were rejecting her. That's the radicalness of God's love. Undeserving people receiving grace and now letting all the other undeserving people know of that grace. Now, this is where... Things get a little funny in this passage, and I love this, because I remember I said this this passage isn't primarily about the woman at the well. It's a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. He's teaching them, right? Evangelism is radical. Evangelism, it's not force. it's, It's compulsion that drives you because of overwhelming wealth of knowing Christ. Well, then, in verse 31, the disciples were urging him, talking about Jesus, saying, Rabbi, Eat. Rabbi, eat, verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Like, remember, the disciples went into Sikhar, the town of Sikhar, to do what? To bring Jesus food. They come back to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, we have food for you. Rabbi, eat. And what is Jesus' response? Like, listen, guys, I have food that you don't even know about. You know what's crazy about this conversation? This is literally the same conversation that Jesus just had with the woman at the well. Hey, if you knew of the living waters that I had, you wouldn't be wanting that water. You'd be wanting to drink my water. Hey, rabbi, eat. If you knew the food that I have to eat, you wouldn't want to be eating that food. You would want to eat the food I have to offer. Like, it's the literal same conversation he just had with the woman. And what Jesus is trying to open the eyes of his disciples to is that evangelism is obedience. It's not a skill. It's obedience, not a skill. Remember, the disciples went in. They're the assignment, get food. But this is the same exchange that you have with Samaritan woman, and what we learn is that Jesus in his ministry, Matthew 4, when he was tempted, he gives a picture of what he's talking about. When he was tempted by Satan, Satan asked him to turn a rock into bread so he could eat and have his belly full after 40 days of fasting. And Jesus' response to Satan was in Matthew 4:4, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God. And in Jesus' gives even a better definition of this to his disciples in this moment. In verse 34, he tells them, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And what Jesus is helping us see, I think John Piper describes as well, is that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And what I mean by that is in our lives, there are things Way more valuable, way more important than the things of this world, the material possessions of this world. Jesus finds the most satisfaction in the glory of God, meaning you and I, we should be most satisfied when God is most glorified. How do we see this in Jesus' life? I mean, he's a perfect human being who lived this out. His dying breath in John 19 was to say and declare, it is finished. A lot of times we read this as a moment of pain because it was on the cross and it was excruciating. But this was not a moment of pain. This was a moment of declaration of the glory of God that everything in my life has done everything to bring glory to God. And he is most satisfied with the work he has completed on the cross because it brought God the most glory. Well, we know from the life of Jesus and Paul that in your lives there are moments of suffering and there are moments of pain that you will face, But the goodness and the wealth of knowing God and seeing him glorified even in the midst of your pain far outweighs that. That's why Paul, in the midst of his ministry, he would say radical things like Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Or in Romans 8, he would say that for me, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory of God to be revealed to us. I know for some of you, you look back on 2022 and you probably thought that was a rough year. Bad things happened, people got hurt, relationships are broken. But I want you to know that these experiences we go through in your relationship with Christ, you can allow God to use those experiences to bring him so much glory. To tell the faithfulness of God that in the midst of your chaos, he still was there with you, walking with you, loving you, caring for you, lifting you up. And the same God that loved and cared for you in the midst of your chaos is the same God that you can invite your friends who are going through chaos and brokenness to experience in the midst of their chaos to make through the tough times of life. My food is to do the will of whom who sent me and to accomplish his work. Which should satisfy us most is obedience to God the Father, not as a command, but as a desire to love the one who first loved us. The final thing that Jesus is revealing to his disciples is that evangelism begins with seeing. In verse 35, we see this little change again. Now he went from talking about He went from talking about what his food was and is to do the will of the Father, but then we get this change again with Jesus in this passage. He says, do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. John MacArthur points out that in this season, the fields were not white for harvest. In fact, when Jesus was given this, the fields would have been very green There would not have been whiteness in the fields. It would have been just a green field that we're looking at. But what is happening in this moment is Jesus is getting his disciples to see something so much greater and that there is a crowd of people coming from Sikar with their robes and against the fields. It would have been a white harvest of people walking to Jesus. And Jesus is pointing out, listen, disciples, my food is to do the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? To love God and love others. And guess what? There's a crowd of people for me to love that's coming to me right now. There is a field, white for harvest? What must we do? Lift up your eyes and see at church. 95% of us have not invited someone to know Christ. But I want to tell you lift up your eyes and see so many people are ripe for the harvest. We live in a messed up and broken realm. There is so much pain and suffering that we all experience that we know people are experiencing. Just like the woman at the well. Why? Man, we have the love and the living waters of God to extend and invite to those people to have. Lift up your eyes and see. In fact, when Jesus is talking about the harvest in Matthew 9, this is what I need you to hear, church. Jesus tells his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. (laughs) Listen, we had 12 disciples go into a town and come back. They didn't lift up their eyes and see, but we have a morally loose Samaritan woman who had an experience, who had an encounter with God. She drank of the living waters and she went to that broken town of people that were avoided, of messed up people. With one of the simplest of invitations of the gospel, there's a man who transformed my life and he can transform you. Is this the Christ? Come and see. And she gives that invitation and now a crowd is running to Jesus and because of a broken woman's testimony of the goodness and the faithfulness of God, verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, not because of the disciples, because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. I believe maybe you're like me sometimes. You try to overcomplicate evangelism. You try to make excuses. You throw the bad eyes out there. But I need you to know, evangelism is broken down into something so simple an invitation to others to experience for themselves the ever-restoring life of Christ that you are experiencing. Church, I don't know who needs to hear this, but maybe you're not inviting others into the experience because you yourself haven't had an experience of Christ. And if that's you, here in a moment, we're gonna have decision encouragers up here and they would love to invite you into how to taste and see of the goodness of God for yourself, how you can confess your sins and believe in the Son of God who loved you and died for you, no matter how undeserving you felt. Every single one of us, including myself, are completely, wholeheartedly, 100% separated from God and undeserving of his grace, but yet God's love is so good, Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Here in a moment, we'll have discerning and encouragers who would love to talk to you and pray with you how to begin that journey and walking with the goodness of God. But here's, here's the heart of today's message. In 2023, we have an opportunity. Yes, we can pray and we can read, but you were created for one purpose, and that was to bring glory of God everywhere you went. There are people in your lives today that I know God has in your heart. He's got people in my heart. And we do not need to invite those people to church, but see that God has given you the living waters to take to them and say, taste and see for yourselves of the goodness of God. It could be the person sitting next to you. It could be a child. It could be a parent. I need you to hear this. You're not called to a gift. You're not called to a skill. You're not called to those things. A calling, those are giftings, and those are great, and you use those in your calling. But a calling is a people, and it's a person, and it's a who. Every single one of you, there is a who on your heart and I know that God has placed them there and there's a reason he's put that tension in your heart because he wants you to see that you are the one that probably should be bringing the living waters to that person. You might even be the person that you despise the most in this world. Maybe that tension is there because God's trying to help get you to lift up your eyes and see them. I wanna call you to come to the altar, get on your hands and knees and beg God to do only what God can do in 2023. Whether it's you or not, beg him to use you or someone else to be the living waters of invitation, like to invite them to experience for themselves. And now I wanna challenge you. This week, lift up your eyes And see. And then by the urge, because of the overwhelming wealth of knowing how undeserved of God's grace you were, yet you received it anyways, you can't help but when others experience that, you go and you tell people where you live, work, and play to experience the living waters of Christ that you have. So the invitation's open. If you need that experience yourself, we'll have decision encouragers up here with you to pray with you. And if that's not you, come to the altar and ask God to do what only he can do in their lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. What a powerful passage of scripture this is, where we see of your goodness and the overwhelming wealth of how radical your love was for us, the most undeserving of society, yet you still loved them anyways and chose to share of your goodness. God, I pray in 2023, we feel the weight of our sin and understand how undeserving of your grace we are, but yet we're so overwhelmed by the worth of knowing that you loved us anyway, that we can't help but want everyone else to experience the freedom that you have for us. God, I pray, that you help us, like the disciples, lift up our eyes, walk in obedience to the will of the Father, and become radical with our evangelism. It's in your holy and precious name we pray.